Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed wherever you live with the Newcastle Libraries app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land on which we live, the Awabakal and Waramai people, who were the first storytellers of this nation and are the proud survivors of more than 200 years of continuing dispossession. Hi everyone and welcome to the second podcast as part of the Young Adult Your Summer Stories for 2023. My name is Danny, and joining me today is the great Holden Shepherd. Holden is an award-winning author born in Geraldton, Western Australia. His debut novel, Invisible Boys, won the WA Premier's Prize for Emerging Writer and was shortlisted for the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards and was made a notable book by the Children's Book Council of Australia. Holden lives in Perth with his husband and The Brink is his second novel. Thank you again, Holden, for joining us today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So I've got a bone to pick with you. This book was so good, I lost sleep over it. It was one of those ones where I started on a Thursday night and it was all good. And on Friday morning, I woke up a bit early and laying in bed going, I might read a bit before I go to work. And then I lost track of time, was almost late for work. Um, later that night, I ended up finishing it. And I couldn't even tell you what time I finished it, but couldn't couldn't sleep for at least an hour after I had finished because I couldn't stop thinking about this book. Wow. Um, sorry, not sorry is all I can say. I'm so <laughs> I'm so happy that you read it quickly and that you, you know, were still thinking about it afterwards. That's, you know, that's my favourite kind of feedback is that it, you didn't just close the book and forget about it immediately. So that's great news. Yeah, I still kind of think about it every now and again. And I can assure you that every copy in the library now has a big fat stuff pick sticker on there and I'm telling everyone I talk to about it. Oh, that's amazing. Thank you heaps. The other thing I thought I might do is a little bit different, and I haven't actually done like something like this before, um, but you know people do live tweeting, you know, their reactions of TV shows or movies or whatever they're doing. I started writing down some of my weird thoughts as I was reading along in the book, and I have to admit I didn't get too far before uh, I got so engrossed in the story, and um, I thought it might be kind of funny to read them out and see if you can pick what parts of the story I'm referring to. So here we go. Um, All right, so this is going to be a wild ride. Why is Liadiano going with those jerks? Oh, that's why. And then I had a curious thought as to whether Holden actually played D&D or if you you LARPed. I was very curious about that one. Um, Loving the description of the bush. It feels like home even though it's only on the other side of the country. Val is a mega terrible human, although I didn't write terrible human. I wrote something far more offensive than that. (laughs) Machete Max with a whole bunch of question marks after that one. Um, That's a lot of vomit. Oh, Mason. Oh, Leonardo. Lynx Africa takes me back to high school. And what is a toolie? And I have to admit, that's as far as I got because I just got so engrossed in the story and, and never got back to it. And I have to shamefully admit, I ended up asking my husband what a toolie was because I didn't know. And he had to explain it to me, which left me feeling rather foolish. <laughs> Did you say toolie? A toolie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a problem. It's a thing. So uh, I thought I'd include that because, you know, when we went on levers back in, you know, well, years ago for me now, I'm too old. But um, uh, when we went on levers, you know, there were the older guys who would kind of lurk around and it was just a bit, you know, sus. So I thought let's include Let's include that. Let's add some danger. Um, and uh, I have played uh, D&D before. I've, um, my brother-in-law is a, a big fan of Dungeons & Dragons. So um, him, my sister, and then me and my husband, the four of us used to play um, a few times. 
but uh, I am too, I'm just going to say I'm too dumb to really get D&D. <laughs> so like, so my husband and my brother-in-law would get really into it. They were like super geeky. They love RPGs. It was, they were into it. And me and my sister were just there cracking up because we couldn't work it out. Um, so yeah, I'm a very frustrating person to play that game. With. Can I ask my own curiosity? What was your character? Oh, um, I was called, ah, uh, I, um, oh, I know it as well. It's on the, it's like Kosif. Kosif was my name. And I think I was a, um, I was a rogue or something. Or I was a, I was a, like a, a, yeah, I was a, like a dude. I wasn't like a, a mage and I wasn't, a, an elf or uh, look it's been a long time i don't remember this game i'm probably saying all the wrong words um, i'm excited then because my character was a road too okay yeah yeah i think yeah i think that was my thing i was like yeah road that sounds really cool sneak attack works well yeah <laughs> okay let's talk about the book now and not just D. what inspired you to write the brink and was this different to writing the invisible boys yeah well this um this is interesting the way it kind of came about because i'd actually started writing the brink before I wrote Invisible Boys. So, and before I wrote um, anything really, um, the very first thing I wrote as an adult where I kind of went, I'm going to write a book. I'm finally ready to do this. I've graduated university, I've studied, I've written fan fiction, I've written all this other crap. And then I was ready to be really you know, serious and write a book that would get published. Um, the very first thing I wrote in 2014 was the earliest version of The Brink. And uh, it did not look like this book at all. Um, it was uh, like an action adventure, almost like Matthew Riley, but without fantasy elements. It was just like a lot of, you know, a bus exploding at a servo in the middle of nowhere between Jordan and Perth and bullets and then everyone fleeing. And then, you know, um, it was an action adventure. And then it kind of, um, I found my way through other things. So I abandoned it. I wrote a fantasy novel for three years that um, also did not work, didn't get published. That's in the drawer. Um, then I wrote Invisible Boys. That one did work. And then I came back to the the brink, um, which was actually called Levers at the time. It, it was about um, Levers is what we call schoolies over in WA for whatever reason. I don't know why we. And I think what drew me to writing about that particular story was the end of high school for me, but I think for a lot of people, just brings about a huge shift. Like for me personally, you kind of go through the first 17, 18 years of your life and I built a persona to kind of survive high school. Like I, I, I was such a misfit. I was such a little weirdo. I had so much undiagnosed mental health stuff going on. I had sexuality stuff going on. So I just kind of built that kind of facade of trying to be as normal as possible and trying to blend in as much as possible to survive high school, to survive my family, to survive what society expected me to be like. And uh, once high school ended, it was just this massive chasm. It was just, you know, oh, I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to fake it. So who am I really? You're kind of left with that question of if, if I'm not pretending for anyone, who am I inside? And, you know, when I was 18, I was like, oh, shit, I don't really know. <laughs> like I haven't really paid attention to, to what I want to do. I've paid attention to trying to make sure um, I don't get attacked. So um, I thought that would be really fascinating to explore um, through the, the prism of, you know, a leavers week that goes horribly wrong, you know, sudden you know they're going to have the party of their life on schoolies then a, someone you know suddenly dies remote island it's one of them i just thought what a great way to ratchet up tension and stakes um and then force them all to confront what's going on inside them so yeah the characters they go through all of that and they're like phoenixes rising from the ashes of this weekend of horror and, and basically come out of the end of it i guess 
better for it. Um, did you draw on any personal experiences for the characters or any of the events in the book, or do you identify with any of the characters? Yeah, um, the way I wrote this book is similar to the way I wrote Invisible Boys, which is that um, the emotional kind of truth of all the characters is pretty real to me. Like the, the things that they're struggling with, their fears, their internal monologues, that tends to be uh, some version of me trying to express something that I've gone through or processing some kind of trauma. Um, the events and characters themselves are made up. So, um, you know, no one got stabbed at my levers. Um, thankfully, um, you know, no one fell into, well, I don't want to spoil it, but, um, you know, no, no one uh, was killed to my knowledge. Um, but the very start of the book probably is drawn a little bit from our experience. So um, I grew up in Geraldton, which is about four hours north of Perth. And we all used to go to Durian Bay for uh, levers. Um, and so that's where the characters in this book start heading off. They're heading to Durian Bay. They get turned around. Um, because the previous year's levers kind of trashed the town a little bit, um, which is what, not me, but the group I went to levers with uh, kind of did to the town and the town went, you guys are never coming back. Um, so I thought, okay, well, you know, let's see how that looks like. If you get turned around last minute and you end up somewhere uh, like Brink Island, which is fictional, but um, similar to a lot of shack settlements on the WA coast that are just off grid. They're not kind of gazetted. They're not kind of official, but they exist. Um, and you know, I, I got, um, I got my car broke down, uh, around that kind of space, um, a few years back. And I just remember kind of being there, you know, night fell, it was raining, there was no phone signal. I couldn't call for help. And I just remember thinking this would be a great place to set some kind of story, some kind of thriller. Cause if no one can come help you, then suddenly everything matters. Every character matters a lot. Um, so, so there's little kind of threads of things that maybe inspired me from my own life, but the actual kind of plot of the story is completely made up and the characters are made up. Um, but perhaps little versions of me, you know, Leonardo is pretty, pretty similar to what I was like, uh, when I was in high school, like he's, he's incredibly anxious and overthinking and desperately wants to fit in and desperately can't, you know, no one will let him. Um, and probably, you know, and Kaya, Kaya's perfectionism is probably mine. Um, Mason's kind of, I don't know, he's grappling with this sense of like being a bloke, but also being into men. And, and that's how I felt growing up and, you know, to some extent how I still feel. Um, so I, you know, they're all representing a little part of me, but, um, they're also wish fulfillment in some ways, you know, Mason's hotter, hotter than me and, uh, and better at footy than I am. So, um, you know, he, he's the good version of what I you know, wish I could be. Actually, I'd say Mason was my favourite character. I didn't think I was going to like him at first and that, you know, the first couple of chapters for his POV, but towards the end, I absolutely loved him. He was definitely my favourite. And Leonardo is, you know, a little cinnamon roll that must be protected forever. What scene was the easiest to write or I guess the most fun to write? And on the other hand, what was the hardest? Firstly, I love that Mason was your favourite, by the way. I just think it's really interesting. Because, you know, there's a risk that he might seem arrogant or obnoxious or cocky. And, and he is those things, but he's also quite human. And I'm glad that came across. Um, in terms of the scenes, um, I, I really like, like, initially when they get to Brink Island and they're on the beach and there's just that initial sense of, like, yay, freedom and fun. Um, I quite liked that scene. Um, but maybe my favourite to write is actually going to sound really odd, but it was there's a scene in the outhouse, like the dunny, 
when uh, Leonardo and Kaya and Mason are kind of locked in there um, and they're kind of just forced to admit what's going on for all of them. Like there's nothing left to hide. So they all kind of have a little shared moment of, you know, yeah, we are a bit weird, but that's fine. You know, like they kind of accept who they are. Um, so I think that was maybe my favourite. That or um, Leonardo, you know, without giving away spoilers, kind of Leonardo's kind of moment where he erupts at the rest of the group. And just, like, that was fun. Like that was really cathartic to, to just imagine if I'd stood up to people instead of at the age of 30, <laughs> if I'd done it uh, when I was 18, um, that was quite fun to imagine. And, and then he kind of has this little moment, you know, there's a moment alone on the beach where he really kind of sits and um, thinks about how he's feeling. Um, and that, and so conversely, that was probably the hardest part to write. I think that that scene where he's on the beach and then he goes try to swim. Um, that, that was, that was probably the most real scary part of, uh, putting something in this book. Cause it felt really cringe to me. It felt like, um, with invisible boys, I was an unpublished author, so I could express myself very honestly and trick myself into thinking that, well, you know, maybe no one will ever read it. But with that scene, it was kind of like, I know, you know, I know the brink is getting published. I know people are going to read this book and I know that people know how I write now. So they're going to look at Leonardo and think, okay, that's a version of Holden. So I found that particular scene quite difficult to let, let go of myself and just be quite honest about how ashamed I felt of different things in my life or how, how desperately I've wanted to be loved and haven't been loved. Um, that, that was hard because you're putting it right there on the page and people will know. Um, but I don't regret that. And I've had some really nice feedback from readers about that scene that that was one of their favourites. Same. And I kind of want to go back and read it again now that I've got your perspective and, and you know, have that scene again. But I'm not sure I can put my heart through it again. Are there any books that you would recommend for people who enjoyed The Brink? Oh, um, yes. Uh, I read... Um, when I was writing it, I read, well, before I was writing it, kind of a mix. I can't remember when it all happened, but um, All These Perfect Strangers by Aoife Clifford, uh, who's an Aussie crime author. Um, I loved that book, and that one is set, like, at a first-year university situation, um, but it's got a similar kind of, like, there's a bit of a murder thing going on, um, and it's, you know, they're probably a similar age, but instead of leaving high school, they're already at uni. Uh, I loved that story. Um, so that's great. came out maybe 2016, 2017, um, All These Perfect Strangers by Karen M. McManus. Uh, that's a you know, full point of view, thrillery kind of thing. Um, although that was one of the examples of like, I, like you shouldn't read when you're writing a book because I read that, I read that between drafts of The Brink early on and uh, I thought, ah, okay, her book has four character point of views. Mine's only got three, so I need four. <laughs> and I, you know, I created a whole new draft where, there was a fourth perspective from Valentina's point of view and um, you know, it wasn't needed. It just added stuff to the manuscript, ended up editing it all out again. Um, uh, but that was, I thought that was a great book. I really liked it. Um, like punchy, sharp thriller. Um, yeah. Those are probably the main two that are similar to this one's Aussie and one's American, but um, yeah. I have heard uh, of a lot of authors that when they're they're reading, they you know when they're writing, they won't actually read in the same genre as them, so that actually doesn't happen. Yeah, that's very smart. Um, I, I mean, I just try to not read at all, um, which makes me not much of a reader these days because I'm always on deadline for writing. But um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm taking this summer um, to read. I haven't done that for years, just like literally sitting there with a stack of books and reading for pleasure. It's been years. Um, so I'm quite excited to do that and just, you know, leave the writing alone for a bit, absorb some other people's works en masse um, and then write this third book and see how that goes. Ooh, what's on the list to read over summer? I'm curious. Um, oh, I've got, do you know what my stack is in my lounge room, which is not right next to me. Um, I've got, so I've got a whole bunch of kind of classic stuff that I have been told that my writing is a little bit like, and I am not very well read in those kind of 20th century classic stuff. Um, so I've bought a whole bunch of them. Um, so I've got some Hemingway, I've got some Charles Bukowski, I've got Raymond Carver, um, I've got some Jack Kerouac, which is probably not that similar to me, but I'm just kind of, they'll, I like that kind of stream of consciousness beat poet kind of stuff. So I just want to soak a little bit of that up. Um, and then I've got a few more recent things that have come out. Um, some Christos Cholkos that I haven't read yet. Um, Young Mungo, um, which is, uh, oh, I said Douglas Stewart, is that his name? Um, yeah. Uh, and a few other books that I'm keen on, but I mean, my to be read pile is like, there's like 8,000 books on it. So, <laughs> um, but those are the ones I'm hoping to smash through over the summer and hopefully take something away from. That actually leads me on to my next question really, really well. What do you hope readers will take away from your book? Oh, um, I think, I think the brink and invisible boys and probably everything I write, um, with the brink, especially, I think I wanted it to be something around self empowerment. So invisible boys was a powerful story and people relate to it on a very emotional level but it's also quite a full-on heartbreaking kind of story. Um, so maybe the colour for that book was a lot of sorrow and a lot of, it's quite dark. Um, the Brink, I feel like the colour for that is anger, but not kind of meaningless anger. It's actually this really awesome self-empowerment anger. Like you have to get angry to stand up to bullies. You have to get angry to learn how to assert yourself. And so I think if any if any reader comes away from The Brink, feeling like they could walk into, I don't know, family Christmas and, and look, you know, look a family member in the eye and stand up to them or stand up to their childhood bully or, you know, just rock up authentically as themselves for the first time, that would be a really good outcome. Like I'd like to, I'd like to leave readers feeling like they're super empowered and liberated to just show up in the world as they are. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? That's, Probably why I couldn't sleep afterwards too. And, and what you're saying about the cover and, and the empowering anger and I with the, the colours and everything, I think, yeah, the way it's set out, all of that, it comes across really quite clear with the cover. Yeah, I'm glad. I love the cover. And especially, like, I've, I've, I've up until my book was one of them, I've actually never been a fan of covers with, like, a word broken up in half across the, the page. Um, but, and, you know, I actually said to text at one point, look, can we just trial, you know, just the, the whole word, the brink, you know, on one line. And uh, they were very kind. They indulged me and they did. And I was like, nope. <laughs> I was like, it looks terrible. And, it, and it's lost that meaning, that feeling of breaking apart and that feeling of like, there's huge drama to a, that giant word, giant font. Um, and it's just symbolic of that, you know, these characters' identities breaking apart and being rebuilt on this island. So um, it's actually really perfect. I, I love that cover. It is. I love it. I'm a big fan of covers and it's beautiful. Um, you mentioned before about book three. Are there any sneak peeks that you can give us on that project? Um, I have occasionally said a few things about book three and uh, and now that I'm getting to the point where I'm going to have to do the rewrites, um, 
I'm starting to be very cautious because um, I might change a fair bit. I haven't, I haven't decided exactly um, what I'm doing. And I think the reason is, so, so book three is for adults. It's going to be uh, contemporary fiction for adults. It's um, instead of sitting with kind of uh, teenage characters who are coming of age in, in that kind of really literal way of being 16 or 18. Um, and, and, you know, that was me processing childhood teenage trauma. Um, this book is written more in real time and more about where I am now. So it's about, you know, a bloke in his thirties who's an, a gym junkie with anger management issues and alcohol issues and, you know, you know, a little bit based on me, um, but uh, it, it's also about family and it's about picking yourself up after everything has just totally fallen apart. Um, but I'm cautious to say anything further than that, um, only because I've got so many plans for my fourth book. Um, so the fourth book was always meant to be, um, I'm going to have to call it a, a follow-on from Invisible Boys, but um, the, the plan was to write this adult book with these adult characters and Invisible Boys was this accident. I, I started writing a short story about Hammer at the age of 16 just to kind of test the waters before I wrote a full book about him as an adult. And um, it just kind of kept going. <laughs> so I ended up with this whole book. So I think it, it's maybe better to think of Invisible Boys as a random prequel that shouldn't have happened, but it did happen and it happened to reach a lot of people and, and it worked. Um, but my fourth book is this book that I really want to write. Um, and I'm trying to be really cautious of what belongs in book three to the character I set up there called Dane and what belongs to Zeke, Charlie and Hammer in book four. Um, and so I think I need to wait till I'm kind of over the summer and have a little rest and then really sit there and outline kind of both books simultaneously and work out, you know, what does this next stage of my career look like? Oh, thank you for sharing that much of it. It sounds really interesting. I'm excited. Okay, last little bit. I have some getting to know you questions that I always like to tack on to the end of the interviews that I do. And I'm lucky enough that I get to talk to authors. It's the best part of my job. Um, so first one, what was the last book that you read? I've literally, and I think I can probably show it up. <laughs> uh, I literally just yesterday, what day are we? No, uh, two days ago, I finished this book. It's actually not out yet. It's an advanced reader copy of uh, A Man and His Pride uh, by Luke Rutledge. It's a debut uh, coming out from Penguin, I think, February next year. Um, but uh, I was sent an advanced copy and it's really great. Um, it's kind of dealing with that kind of being a gay man in the grinder era and being quite honest about uh, what life looks like um, in this era and kind of tackling a lot of unresolved trauma and, and what it makes characters do, um, even when they're really unlikable. Like, actually, quite I quite responded to this character who um, it has a lot of flaws, like, like looks on the page can be really unlikable at times. Um, but I think we're in such an era where, you know, we're bombarded a lot with some really squeaky clean images of, of gay characters and, and what it means to be LGBT. And, you know, I, and I understand the reason that we, you know, why we do that and uh, why those very positive depictions are out there. Um, but as someone who's in that world, it's just so, it's so sanitized and it's so safe and it's kind of crafted for this, you know, straight audience to make us look nice and acceptable. So when I find a text, um, I mean, my own texts, I think, do this anyway. My books uh, skew for more raw and real and just honest, even if it makes us look uh, dirty or sexy or or unlikable. I think that's a really good thing. So um, this book did that as well, and I just thought it was great. Oh, okay. I'm intrigued now. What was your favourite movie? Oh, there's like a classy answer and there's like a really not classy answer. Um, I, I probably, I've always loved Walk the Line, which was the Johnny Cash biopic that um, came out in 2005. I saw it when I was 17 and it just had such an impact on me. Um, 
just his music, but also his life. And maybe I think I related to that sense of being this kind of country boy who tries to seek something bigger than himself in a career that's bigger than himself and, you know, can't stop drinking and, <laughs> and using substances. Um, I, I could relate to him um, a lot and I love his music as well. Um, so walk the line. But um, I actually, I like I'm hardcore into really dumb screwball comedy movies, like from the 80s and 90s. So like I love. Like Spaceballs? Uh, did you say Spaceballs? <laughs> <laughs> Spaceballs is like my favourite movie. <laughs> so like, like, you know, I'm not even kidding. Um <laughs> So like it's baseballs or flying high or the naked gun or hot shots like really like anything brothers like the zucca brothers or jim abrahams or pat Croft, like i absolutely bloody love um and so it's really lowbrow but that's what i love like if, if i'm given the choice i watch like those kind of comedies any day of the week i'm not sophisticated <laughs> all right um last one best and worst flavor of ice cream these are the kind of questions i love because, um, no, I love these kind of things because I never get to talk about them usually. Um, best flavour of ice cream, I always go for like mint, like a mint chop chip kind of situation um, or um, like if I'm in Italy, I love like a fior di latte or like something or stracciatella, you know, that is really creamy kind of um, flavours or like just chocolate. Like if you go to like an Italian gelateria and it's like straight up really dark, um, like that brown chocolate flavor. I love it. Um, worst flavor, probably like licorice, but I love it really weirdly. I love ouzo. So like I, if it's an aniseed based alcohol, I can have like ouzo and Coke all day, but eating licorice or having licorice flavored ice cream, it just makes me want to like puke. I so. guess it's like those people who's, um, well, you know, they don't drink Coke, but they won't drink Pepsi, but it's like, it's cooler. Yes. <laughs> that being said, it's like I'm mocking myself at this point because I won't drink Pepsi and will only drink Coke. <laughs> oh, but they do taste different. No, I hear it. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do one more because this is lots of fun. Just off the top of my head, I've got one more question. So I'm going to go music. So what favourite music? Oh, um, rock. Like just like anything rock or rock uh, like adjacent. So like, uh, and it can be anything from like, like I love kind of um, Offspring, Green Day, you know, Blink-182, Sum 41, Foo Fighters, um, and through to like Killing Heidi or Alanis Morissette um, and and just like, you know, Three Doors Down, I've been listening to a lot, Pearl Jam, like anything. It can be any kind of subgenre I love. Probably the only thing I don't listen to is like full-on screamo um, kind of stuff. Like I like a bit of Five Finger Death Punch or Disturbed, um, Papa Roach, but nothing that's yeah i just don't get hugely into screamo and probably not hugely into country although there's a little bit of that if it's mixed with rock and it's done the right way i don't mind it either um but yeah like rock all the way i've just always vibed with the total like liberation and freedom of just like absolutely rocking out not giving a crap like that's it's a powerful thing and i actually think you know if i ever get famous enough that people dissect my influences um in a, in a documentary or something um there is a lot more in rock music that has like lyrically and sonically that has actually influenced me as a novelist um than novels have i actually i i think i've been more influenced by uh music in the way i express myself uh than i have by literature um so i'm quite passionate about music i listen to it constantly i feel like we can be friends now because i'm all about the rock genre like anything else could just quietly go away (laughs) 
All right. Um, that's that's all I have. I don't have any more questions. I don't know. Is there anything else that you would like to share with us today? Um, no, just that it's been awesome to have such an open, happy chat about books and about writing. And thank you for being an awesome interviewer. I love the lightning round questions at the end. They're getting to know you. I'm keen on those. Um, but no, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. And um, just thanks for giving Aussie authors a chance to talk about our works. Oh, anytime. I love it. And thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do this. It's just, it's been so much fun. And so, you know, yay for writing an amazing book. And thank you so much for talking to us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you heaps. Cheers. All right. Anyone out there, if you're listening, if you haven't read The Brink, seriously read it. Your life will be better for it. Um, You know, and thank you for listening in today with our podcast for Your Summer Stories for 2023. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This was recorded at the Digital Library at 12 Stewart Avenue in Newcastle. This podcast room is available to hire and comes equipped with microphones, headphones and a sound mixer. Everything you need to start recording something yourself. If you or anyone you know is interested in recording a podcast themselves, get in touch with your local library. 